Welcome to the Super Sleuth Podcast, presented by the Frostburg State University Children's Literature Center. Get ready to time travel with your hosts, Bill and Cameron, and use your detective skills to identify our mystery famous person. We'll give you 10 clues about our famous person, plus we'll give you the meanings of three vocabulary words related to our famous person. Using the 10 clues and three vocabulary words, can you identify our mystery famous person? Be sure to listen all the way through our podcast because Bill and Cameron will also have a special segment involving superheroes, and we'll tell you all about an awesome new book. If you like our podcast, be sure to follow us on SoundCloud. Are you ready to have fun? Let's start the Super Sleuth Podcast. Welcome to Season 3. How are you doing, Cameron? We're doing good. Episode one, season three. Yep, here are we are. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. Okay. Well, before we start, we should talk about what we finished with the last time. And the name of the feature person was? Aretha Franklin. And the book we got the clues from is titled A Voice Named Aretha. And it's by Catherine Russell Brown and illustrated by Laura Freeman. And now for vocabulary words from the last episode. Yep. So the first vocabulary word was a noun, and the word was sibling, which means brother or sister. So the first vocabulary word that was a noun, the word was sibling, and it means brother or sister. And the second vocabulary word, we were looking for a metaphor. The metaphor, a saying which means to gain experience, especially at a young age. And we were looking for the metaphor, cut her teeth. And then the last word we were looking for was an adjective, and the word was shrewd, and it means having a sharp mind or showing a keen wit. So once again, the last word was an adjective, and the word was shrewd, and it means having a sharp mind or showing a keen wit. And now we are ready for this episode's featured person. So we'll start with the clues. I will start with the first one. Number one, in her youth, she often served Thanksgiving dinner to homeless newsboys with her father, visited hospitalized children with her great-aunt Gracie, and decorated a Christmas tree for families in one of the poorest neighborhoods in New York City with Uncle Valley. Clue number one. In her youth, she often served Thanksgiving dinner to homeless newsboys with her father, visited hospitalized children with her great-aunt Gracie, and decorated a Christmas tree for families in one of the poorest neighborhoods in New York City with Uncle Valley. Clue number two, she understood the meaning of loss because her mother, father, and brother Elliot died before her 10th birthday. Clue number two, she understood the meaning of loss because her mother, father, and brother Elliot died before her 10th birthday. Clue number three, 
Being orphaned, she was sent to live with a strict, kind grandmother who on Sundays expected her to recite Bible verses and hymns from memory instead of playing games. Also, she had to wear thick black stockings during long, hot summers. If she rolled them down, she was told, ladies do not show their legs, so roll them up. Clue number three. Being orphaned, she was sent to live with a strict, kind grandmother who on Sundays expected her to recite Bible verses and hymns from memory instead of playing games. Also, she had to wear thick black stockings during hot, during long, hot summers. If she rolled them down, she was told, ladies do not show their legs, so roll them up. Clue number four. At the age of 15, she attended Allenwood, an all-girls school in London, England. Here, Marie Souvestre, and it's spelled S-O-U-B-E-S-T-R-E, the headmistress challenged her to think critically about religion and human rights. At the school, she was so loved by her classmates, they often filled her room with violets on Saturday. Clue number four. At the age of 15, she attended Allenwood, an all-girls school in London, England. Here, Marie Souvestre, the headmistress, challenged her to think critically about religion and human rights. At the school, she was loved by her classmates. They often filled her room with violets on Saturday. Clue number five. After three years, her grandmother insisted she leave her beloved Allenwood and return to New York to become a debutante, and there she met her future husband, Franklin. Clue number five. After three years, her grandmother insisted she leave her beloved Allenwood and return to New York to become a debutante, and there she met her future husband, Franklin. Clue number six. In 1905, she became the wife of a New York State senator and spent countless hours listening to the voters' concerns and building connections in the community. Clue number six. In 1905, she became the wife of a New York State senator and spent countless hours listening to the voters' concerns and building connections in the community. Clue number seven. When her husband Franklin contracted polio in 1921, she helped him stay active in public life while raising four boys and a girl. Clue number seven. When her husband Franklin contracted polio in 1921, she helped him stay active in public life while raising four boys and a girl. Clue number eight. Her husband was elected president in 1933 during the Great Depression. She became his eyes and ears with the citizens of the United States by asking them to write to her and share their troubles hopes, and fears. Daily, she and her assistant, 
Malvina Thompson read hundreds of letters and left some of the important ones for Franklin to read. Clue number eight. Her husband was elected president in 1933 during the Great Depression. She became his eyes and ears with the citizens of the United States by asking them to write to her and share their troubles, hopes, and fears. Daily, she and her assistant, Melvina Thompson, read hundreds of letters and left some of the important ones for Franklin to read. Clue number nine. She was the first lady from 1933 to 1945 and often traveled across the U.S. One time she rode a mine car two miles underground to watch 400 miners dig coal. On another day, she rode in a workman's cage to the bottom of the Boulder Dam. She regularly visited projects, reform schools, and jails to help understand the struggles of the people who lived there. Clue number nine. She was the first lady from 1933 to 1945 and often traveled the U.S. One time she rode a mine car two miles underground to watch 400 miners dig coal. On another day, she rode in a workman's cage to the bottom of the Boulder Dam. She regularly visited housing projects, reform schools, and jails to help understand the struggles of the people who lived there. Clue number 10. During World War II, she traveled to the South Pacific visiting military hospitals, shaking hands with the wounded, offering comfort and thanking them for their service. Clue number 10. During World War II, she, she traveled to the South Pacific visiting military hospitals, shaking hands with the wounded, offering comfort and thanking them for their service. Clue number 11. She grieved the death of her husband Franklin Roosevelt on April the 12th, 1945 and quietly accompanied his body on the Ferdinand Magellan train from Georgia to lie in state in the East Room of the White House in Washington, D.C. Clue number 11. She grieved the death of her husband Franklin Roosevelt on April the 12th, 1945 and quietly accompanied hers, his body's return on the Ferdinand Magellan train from Georgia to lie in state in the East Room of the White House in Washington, D.C. Clue number 12. President Harry Truman appointed Mrs. Roosevelt to serve as a delegate to the first meeting of the United Nations General Assembly, an organization founded to foster peace. Here, she led a committee that created the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Clue number 12. President Harry Truman appointed Mrs. Roosevelt to serve as a delegate to the first meeting of the United Nations General Assembly an organization founded to foster peace. Here, she led a committee that created the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And now we're ready for our vocabulary words. 
all three vocabulary words can be found in the clues that we were you were given today. Number one, we're looking for a noun, the defini- definition of which is an upper-class young woman making her first appearance in fashionable society. Number one, we're looking for a noun. Definition is an upper-class young woman making her first appearance in fashionable society. Clue number two, we are looking for a noun that means an individual whose mother and father have died. Clue number two, we are looking for a noun, and the definition is an individual whose mother and father have died. And the last one, number three, we're looking also, we're, this time we're looking for a verb. And the definition we're looking for is the body of a person of national importance is laid in a public place of honor before being buried. We're looking for a verb for number three. The body of a person of national importance is laid in a public place of honor before being buried. And now we are ready for a reading by Michaela. And you will be excited to hear it because this is a mystery. Michaela? Thank you for having me today. What an honor. So I'm going to read a Wilcox and Griswold mystery, The Case of the Poached Egg, by Robin Newman and illustrated by Deborah Zink. Boys and girls, this case is about a poached egg on Ed's farm. Over a hundred animals live on this farm. Most work, some horse around, others steal. That's where I come in. My name is Detective Wilcox. I'm a police mouse. The boss is Captain Griswold. We're MFIs, Missing Food Investigators. It's our job to investigate cases of missing food. Whatever the food, whatever the crime, we make the bad guys do the time. Farmer Ed's big spectacular was coming up and you could be sure of one thing, trouble. It could hatch at any time. It was 10 Tuesday morning. The captain and I were working the early shift when we got our first call. Chapter 1. Case file number 1156. The Poached Egg. 10 a.m. Headquarters. Headquarters. Wilcox here. This is Henrietta Hen. My precious penny is missing. Did she fly the coop, I asked? Oh, no, she can't fly. Did she run away, I probed? Oh, no, she can't run. Uh, so she can't fly or run. I've never heard of a chicken who couldn't cross the road. She's not a chicken. Not a chicken? What is she? An egg. I sure had an egg on my face. Are you sure she's gone? Yes, detective. I always count my chickens before they hatch. We're on our way, I said. Captain, we've got a code zero, a poached egg. The captain held up a pot of water. Not poached as in boiled, I said. Poached as in stolen. We jumped into our cruiser and flew to the coop. Chapter 2, The Crime Scene. 10.30 a.m., chicken coop. It was a bok-bok here and a bok-bok there. Bok-bok, cried Henrietta. Over here! Detective Wilcox and Captain Griswold MFIs, I said, flashing my badge. I pulled out my pen and notepad. What happened, ma'am? This morning I overslept, most unusual for me. When I woke up, Penny was gone from the nest, and there was this instead. 
If you ever want to see your precious penny again, bring five bags of unmarked corn to the stable at 10 a.m. tomorrow. Come alone. Egg-napping, I whispered to the captain. Do you recognize the handwriting, I asked Henrietta. No, she sniffled. We'll need a picture of the missing egg, I said. That's my pretty penny on the poster. The captain sketched Penny's likeness. Who's been in the coop, I asked. Nobody but us chickens and Gabby Goose and Colonel Peck. Hmm, a goose and a rooster in a hen house. Was foul play involved? What was Gabby Goose doing here? She wanted to talk turkey about the big speg spectacular. Holy cow, that goose could talk the ears off a donkey. Colonel Peck paid a visit too? He was searching for his missing kernels of corn. The colonel always is always losing his kernels. Detective, I'm worried Penny could hatch at any time, clucked Henrietta. If we don't find Penny fast, I whispered to the captain, she might end up in an omelet, or worse, in a bucket of fried chicken. We had to scramble on this case, scramble before we had scrambled eggs indeed. Chapter 3 Suspects and Clues 11 a.m. Cooped Up We were dusting for prints when Colonel Peck strutted in. Detectives, am I glad to see you. Two kernels of corn are missing from my feed. It may not seem like much, but every kernel counts. You can file a missing kernel report down at the station, I said. I just might. Henrietta mentioned you were here yesterday. When was this? Sometime after the cows came home. Couldn't find a single kernel, so I left and headed over to Miss Rabbit's. She invited me to Borsini and me over for cake uh, and a game of go fish. Was anyone lurking around the coop, I asked. The colonel lowered his voice. I know I'm walking on eggshells, but I'll just come out and say it. Gabby Goose and Henrietta were squawking. About what? Some silly squabble about Henrietta's eggs, always taking first prize. Gabby's eggs finished second every time. No contest. Was Gabby behaving suspiciously? Like an odd duck, even for a goose. She was hanging around Henrietta's nest. The captain had that, if you know anything, you'd better spill the beans look. Have you seen this, I asked. No, what is it? A ransom note for Penny. Recognize the handwriting, I grilled him. Nope. But I'd bet my tail feathers scribbling that bad could only be made by a silly goose. Isn't it interesting the thief wants to be paid in corn? I hoped his reaction might give me a clue. Exactly. Geesey corn. Lots of it. The colonel flapped off in a huff. So do roosters, I whispered to the captain, who was clearly thinking the same thing. The captain snapped photographs of the crime scene while I collected feather and eggshell samples. This case was going to be a hard-boiled egg to crack. A hard-boiled egg indeed. Examining the evidence, 12 p.m., cow crossing on Milky Way. I heard of cows, a herd of cows was crossing the road to get to the utter, I mean, other side. I pulled out my emergency supply of cheese donuts and tossed one to the captain. The captain munched while I studied the prints from the crime scene. Chicken, rooster, and goose prints. No surprises here. It was the same story for the feathers. So far, the evidence wasn't helping at all. I took a bite of my donut. One, two, three, bites, chew. 
The captain bit into his one, two, three bites chew. Cheese donuts always helped us think. Sometimes something was strangely familiar about the shape, and then it hit me. Holy cannoli, Captain, the ransom note. See this, I pointed. Every letter E is backwards. The captain's whiskers twitched, and he grinned his we're-on-to-something smile. We'll need to see everyone's handwriting, I said. Let's start with Gabby Goose once these cows move out of the way. Move out of the way, indeed. 12.30 p.m., Gabby's nest at Goose Creek. We parked in front of the creek. There's Gabby, I pointed at the goose waiting in the water with some ducks. Honk, the captain beeped. Honk, Gabby replied. Detectives, you won't believe this, but I just had my afternoon swim. Well, it was supposed to be my morning swim, but I overslept, so my morning swim became my afternoon swim, which isn't terrible, but what happens to my evening swim? Does that become my afternoon swim, or do I still call it my evening swim? Excuse me, Gabby, but I started to say when Gabby interrupted me. And have you heard the horrible news, Gabby Gabdorn? I was talking to the ducks who heard it from the cows, who heard it from the sheep, who heard it from the chickens. Only a rotten egg could do such a thing. Poor Penny. Colonel Peck mentioned that you were at the coop yesterday, I said. I stopped by for a quick hello. Well, it started as a quick hello, but of course a quick hello became a hen party, but not just a hen party because I'm a goose, so it was a hen and goose party, and no wonder this goose was called Gabby. Did you notice anything suspicious? One thing, Colonel Peck was as sour as vinegar. His feathers were all in a ruffle about his missing colonels. Gabby squawked. Missing kernels, and now a missing egg. Could somebody be making cornbread? Or getting a rival out of the way, I said. Word around the farm is that with Penny out of the picture, Gertie is a sure winner at the spectacular. My gorgeous Gertie would win no matter what, honked Gabby, but I do feel bad for Henrietta. Can you take a gander at this? I asked the captain handy Gabby the ransom note. If you ever want to see your precious penny again, bring five bags of unmarked corn to the stable at 10 a.m. tomorrow. Come alone. Oh, no, Gabby wailed. I knew it was bad, but I didn't realize it was ransom note bad. Do you recognize the handwriting? No, but a goose would never write such a chicken scratch. The captain handed me a printout of Gabby's rap sheet, a record of arrest. She had a couple of corn priors, but was clean otherwise. Next, the captain handed me a card and gave me a wink. I knew the plan. Gabby, would you mind signing this card for Henrietta? We'd like to cheer her up. Maybe you should sign it, Gabby Goose, so she knows it's from you. There's only one goose named Gabby on this farm. How about love Gabby, I suggested. Great idea. The captain held the card next to the note. He shook his head. No match. We had come up with a big goose egg. Back in the squad car, the captain spread out a map of the farm. Look here, captain, I pointed. Miss Rabbit had such keen ears. She may have heard something. Nothing peeps without her noticing. And Porcini's pigsty is just across the road. He could have seen something. The captain nodded with his let's catch this rat look. We had to hurry before a goose was cooked. Cooked well done indeed. 1.30 p.m., home of Miss Rabbit. Knock, knock. MFIs, I hollered. Door is open. Come on down, shouted Miss Rabbit. We slid down the rabbit hole and landed in the kitchen. Detectives, how nice of you to drop in, said Miss Rabbit. Would you like some carrot cake? This isn't a social call, I announced. 
Penny has been egg-napped. I pulled out my notepad and started taking notes when I noticed Miss Rabbit was wearing her pajamas. Did we wake you? I asked. I'm normally up with the chickens, but this morning I overslept. I didn't hear Colonel Peck crow. Hmm, Henrietta and Gabby had also overslept. Now that I thought about it, I hadn't heard the rooster crow either. Have you seen anyone hanging around the coop? Just that cocky rooster. The captain tapped me on the shoulder. Carrots, flour, milk, vanilla, and an empty egg carton were on the kitchen counter. Eggs? Are those cake ingredients, I asked? Yes, have a slice. It's delicious. Could Miss Rabbit be our egg napper? Needing an egg for her carrot cake would certainly be a motive. The captain pointed to the garbage pail. Eggshells! This case had just gone from the frying pan into the fire. The captain compared the eggshells to the sketch he'd made of Penny and shook his head. What a relief! None of those shells were Penny. We still needed a writing sample for Miss Rabbit. Everyone was a suspect until Penny was home safe and sound. Would you mind signing a card for Henrietta? We're hoping to cheer her up. Oh, I'll just bring her some carrot cake, Miss Rabbit offered. A note is more personal. Besides, I doubt she'd eat anything made with eggs. You're right, Miss Rabbit agreed. The captain pulled out the ransom note and placed it next to, next to Miss Rabbit's sample. He shook his head. No match here. This case was turning into a wild goose chase. A wild goose chase indeed. 2.45 p.m. Persini's pen. Persini, I called out, rapping on his door. Let the MFIs in or we'll huff and we'll puff. Detectives, Porcini oinked. What can I do for you? Henry is at his egg. Penny is missing, I said. Was Penny taken or did she run away? Asked Porcini. An egg can't run, I protested. Well, I've seen a lot of them scramble. Speaking of scramble, I growled. Have you had scrambled eggs recently? Not r recently enough, Porcini snapped. Could he have taken Penny for breakfast and written the ransom note to throw us off the trail of eggshells? The captain, captain had that you're in hot water if you don't start squealing look. What did you eat for breakfast? I gave Porcini the third degree. You won't believe this, but I miss breakfast. I feel faint. I could use a cheese donut. The captain tossed him one. Have you seen anything unusual at the coop, I pressed? You mean like an egg napper? Nope. Just clucking chickens and the colonel counting his kernels. The captain pointed to a corner of the pen. Did you write this, I demanded. With my own hooves, it says home sweet pen. Nuts, I murmured to the captain. So far, everyone had a motive, but nobody's handwriting matched. Back at headquarters, we poured over the evidence. One hour, two hours, three hours. The clock kept ticking. Day turned to night and night to day. With no clues, no plan for finding Penny, one thing was clear. Our bacon was fried, fried to a sizzle indeed. Thank you, Michaela. And next episode, she will finish, and we will find out the culprit, won't we? Yes, we will. Great. Now, Cameron's been jumping up and down <clears throat> because he is so excited to share his superhero person for this week. So go ahead, Cameron. So the superhero from last week was none other than Starfire, who is a member of Teen Titans. So that was the superhero from last week. This week's superhero, he is an um, alien from another planet. 
and um, he has the ability to power up and get stronger. And his special move is called a Kami Kami Ha. So those are the clues for our superhero for this week. Very good, Cameron. And now we're going to give a clue to our next episode. And I understand, Cameron, that you have some plans that you'll be able to travel once once we're able to travel again, which hopefully will be soon. Where where did you tell me you're going to be going to the first traveling spot? Um, the first place that I'll be going to, I'll be going to a museum in Springfield, Massachusetts. No, what a great clue for the next episode. You want to, we want to finish with Cameron giving everybody some information about how they get in contact with us? Yes. So if this is your first time listening to our podcast, um, we recently completed season two. Um, and you can find our podcast on SoundCloud if you search the CLC Super Sleuth Podcast. So if you would like to hear our previous episodes, you can go there. Um, Our podcast is also on Apple Podcasts and also on Spotify and many other places where you can find podcasts. Um, We also have an email, so if you would like to get in contact with us, our email is frostbergclc at gmail.com. So if you would like to guess the clues or give us suggestions, Um, feel free to contact us via email. And also on SoundCloud and the other places where you can listen to podcasts, you can send us messages on there as well. So thank you for joining us. And uh, yeah. See you the next episode. It's been fun, Super Sleuths. Now make sure to submit your answers to who you believe is our mystery famous person and the three vocabulary words. Also, be sure to look for future episodes of the Super Sleuth podcast on SoundCloud. And if you have any questions or comments, you can contact us on our SoundCloud page. Please join Bill and Cameron again for more time traveling. And in the meantime, great job, Super Sleuths.